0: Hey friends, we're in the Gospel of Luke today. So if you brought your Bible with you or you read your Bible on your phone, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 13. I'm starting at the first verse and I'll read all the way to verse 9. So I invite you to hear what God has to say um, through, his, who, through his son Jesus. This is what the scripture says. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed and mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think these were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And he replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, You can cut it down. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hey, friends, I'm Katie. If I've not had the chance to meet you, I'm really glad that you're here today. I am so excited to hear so many little voices in the church today because do you know what it means? We are celebrating a baptism in just a little while, and we've got a lot of um, people with us today, and I'm really just thankful that we get to um, celebrate a baptism and uh, welcome new members. So we're going to do that just after the message is over. I thought that was a really appropriate response to what God has to say to us today. Um, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go ahead and get started with the message. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. God, it's our desire to uh, let go in this time of all the things that um, might distract us and um, to just fully rely on and embrace you. So God, I pray for each one of us who are here in person and online today that we might hear the word that you are calling us to hear, that you would speak something new into our hearts today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So I have little kids. Uh, I have two little kids. Uh, They are six and a half and four. And I miss um, a lot of things about when my kids were young. Um, my husband says, no more children, Katie. And I say, all right, that's fine. Um, but I have the baby fever, so I just play with my niece instead. So there's a lot of things that I miss about when my kids were little. For example, feeding them their favorite food. So do you, if y'all have fed a kid ever and they really love that food and they do that little bounce thing that they do and they get really excited. Like, I really love this. Thanks for doing that. That's so great. Or uh, when you watch a baby figure out how their hands work, what are these things? It's miracles, right? At the end of my arms, what's happening? Or when you listen to them uh, discover their first sounds or even hear their first words, like there's nothing like hearing uh, a kid that you love say your name for the first time, is it? Like when you hear your niece or your nephew or your best friend's baby or your own child say your name for the first time, it's like, I will buy you 10 ponies. How many ponies do you want? All the ponies, okay, that's great. But if there's one thing I do not miss about when my kids were little little, when they were like two or under, it was hearing the question, why? 19 times in five minutes. So I'm going to share with you a typical why conversation. This is not direct quoting, but um, I have two kids, and they both did this to me pretty regularly, in the car on a weekly basis for months on end. Me, let's get in the car. My kid, why? Me. We're going to the grocery store. My kid. Why? Me. We need more food. Why? We ate all our food. Why? We were hungry. Why? That's how our bodies are. They just get hungry. Why? You guys, I went to seminary, okay? (laughs) Like, I don't know how bodies work. I'm stuck in fifth grade on this one. I get no further. I have no clue how to explain to a curious two-year-old how his or her body works. So kids ask why for all sorts of reasons. So it's a short little word that helps them to learn how to participate in a conversation. They see a conversation happening around them. It's a little word. It doesn't take a lot of energy to say, but they feel like they're part of what's going on. It's a way for them to show that they're learning new things, that things are happening in their brain, and it helps them to make sense of the world around them, and it also helps them to find their place in the world around them. It's such a human question, isn't it? Why? So you started asking, we started asking why when we were kids and we haven't stopped, but our questions have changed, haven't they? Why is there war now? Why are folks always fighting each other? Why is my health declining? Why am I having a hard time at work? Why are young people struggling with anxiety and depression in record numbers? Why COVID? Why is COVID still happening? Why are the people who I love hurting? Why do tyrants around the world get to do what they want when they want on their own timeline while innocent people suffer? Sometimes there are things in our lives and in the world around us that happen with little warning and with no apparent reason and we have questions. (laughs) What's the why that brought you here today? Sometimes there's a concrete answer to the question, but oftentimes there's not. And if there's no concrete answer to the question why, if we are honest, if we're honest before God today, let's be honest and say, we just don't want it. I don't want it. Because we live in a time where we've got the answers to almost everything at our fingertips. Who is that actress in that one movie from 27 years ago? (laughs) When was George Washington president? When did the Civil War start? How do you figure all that stuff out? Where do you go? Google. You just ask Google, right? We don't want it unless it's an answer. Unless it's a clearly defined answer. We don't want mystery. We don't want unpredictability. We, we don't want chaos. We want clarity. We want predictability. We want chaos. We want, we want order in the midst of our chaos. We don't want to live in a gray area in a both and world where more than one thing can be true we want black and white either or this or that we don't want to have to guess we want answers we want concrete answers so the mystery of the unanswered why is confusing to us and it's scary to us we just don't want know what to do with it but it's the question that we stick in God's face every time something bad happens why tell us why God We ask why of God more than any other question that we ask. And I'll tell you that there are 85 question marks in this sermon, okay? I I searched inside my document. I found how many questions I would ask. It's 85. We ask concrete questions because we want concrete answers. So in other words, when we ask God why, we are asking, help me understand the world around me, Jesus. Help me understand my life. Tell me the plan and the pattern for the world around me, Jesus. Tell me the rules. Tell me what happens when I follow them. Tell me exactly how to follow them so I get it just right. And then tell me what's going to happen to me when I don't get it just right. Right? Is that how you are with God sometimes? I want to know the stuff. Tell me the stuff. I'll do it if you tell me. Just you got to tell me. Okay? Show me the logic and the reason in all of this, Jesus. Show me that this life that I am living will end well. Show me that I'm gonna have a happy ending, just like, I, just like all those stories that I read when I was a kid, that the good guy wins and the bad guy loses. Give me a theory of everything, Jesus. Give me the truth that I can apply equally, universally in all situations. Why, why, why? Just like we did when we were kids. We keep asking, asking. Asking. we've been asking the same questions as a human people for over 2,000 years and I will say to you that in all my years of seminary and all my years as your pastor and all my years as this like a person who lives I've yet to find a concrete answer do you have a concrete answer maybe you should be up here instead of me that's okay so the folks from this passage that we read from in Luke today they're trying to pin Jesus down for answers teacher Teacher, I can just imagine that they run up to him shouting because the headline, once again, is full of horror and tragedy. You don't know what that's like at all, do you? World's great, it's fine. So the headline is full of horror and tragedy. Pontius Pilate, this is the context, he has slaughtered a group of Galilean Jews. These are people who were probably making a holy pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And then he mixes their blood with the, sacrificial, with the blood of the sacrificial lambs. This is a sacrilege, right? And then he also makes a reference. We don't know if it happened yesterday or 10 years ago, but this, there's this tower in this little town called Siloam that has collapsed. It's the result of shoddy workmanship, no doubt. Ever see anything like that in the news? 18 people have been crushed and killed. And so they run up to Jesus saying, listen to the latest headline, Jesus. Jesus. And they don't ask him this why question outright. At least this is not a question that we hear in the scripture. But I would imagine that there's a question implied all the same. So tell me what I should think about this, please, Jesus. Tell me why. Will Will you give me the answer? Will you help me understand? Why is there so much pain right now? Why do such brutal leaders lead us? Why don't things in the news ever seem to go right? Why does a good God allow human suffering. Have you all ever done this? I do this. I'll just say up front so you can feel free to say yes, you have done this. Uh, Have you um, been engaged in a question, in a conversation with someone and you ask them a question because you have an answer to the question and you ask them the question so you can hear their answer but you just really want to say your own answer to the question? Do you guys do that? <laughs> That's a thing we do, right? That's fine. It's okay. So I'd be willing to bet that actually part of what is going on here in this scripture passage is that these people go to Jesus because they want to tell him the news and they have an answer in mind for how they want Jesus to answer the question, right? So they have a they have a little box, has a nice lid, and they open the lid and uh, they're hoping to put the Jesus answer boop just right into the box. There it goes. They want Jesus to verify that they're right, that there is, in fact, a reason for human suffering. People suffer for a reason. This is what they want Jesus to tell them. People suffer because they're sinful, right? That's the answer that they want. They want it affirmed that actually bad things do happen to bad people. And we, you and I, we're not actually that much different from people who um, questioned Jesus all those years ago. We approach a lot of our faith like this, honestly. Do you ever go to God, you just want like the answer so you can take it away and do the thing with it? You look for answers, you already have the answer in mind. And so when Jesus responds to his questioners and he does respond, he answers the question, not what they're asking, but what they're actually asking. He's not answering the why question, he's, asking, he's answering something deeper. Jesus, did this stuff happen to them because they're sinful? And Jesus says what in verse 2, if you still have your Bible open? Do you think that these Galileans suffered in this way because they were worse sinners than anybody else? No. Jesus says, no, their sin didn't cause their suffering. At least, not in the way you might imagine. No. What Pilate did to those people wasn't God's justice on them. No. Bad things happen to a person or to a people. And sometimes that's not connected to their sin. It's not divine retribution. So let's recap. They ask a question. Jesus understands what they're actually asking. He answers their actual question. No, that's not why. But they don't still get an answer to the question that they intended to ask, which was why. And then to complicate matters, Jesus keeps talking. You see there in verse 3, he continues, but unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. What? Jesus, we didn't want to know about repenting. We just wanted to tell you the news so you could tell us the thing that we already thought was right. It's not what we were asking at all, Jesus. Repent. That's essentially what this season of Lent is all about. Metanoia. That's what it is in the Greek. That's the word, repent. It means to turn around, to go a different way from the way that you were going before, to change your mind, to see things in a new light, to cultivate a different perspective. And what Jesus is saying is it's not just some of us who need to repent. It's all of us. Not just those of us who face death. It's all of us. The need for repentance is a universal condition. It's shared by victims and survivors alike. Repent, he says, out with the old, in with the new. Repent. Turn away from your old assumptions. Repent. Walk in a different direction. Maybe he is saying, stop asking why and start asking a different question. We want answers from Jesus, and he he does not tell us what we want to hear. We don't get the answer we want and we do get an answer to a question we're not even asking. So maybe what part of what Jesus is doing here is refusing to answer their demand for an immediate answer and maybe what he's inviting them to do is ask different questions maybe even better questions. So i've been walking with jesus for most of my life now and the longer that i walk with him the more i learn that why is an okay question so if you have why's in your heart you're not a bad person okay it's an honest question it's an eternal question it is a human question but it's not the best question to ask i think there are better questions because when you ask why you suppose that there's an answer right sometimes there is a concrete truth so the question that my kids asked me Why do bodies get hungry? Do you want to know the answer? Okay, I'm not a doctor, Okay, guys? So just, like, work with me here. We get hungry when our bodies need more energy or nutrients. Does that work for you? To make sure our bodies have enough energy, we have to keep eating. How did I know that? Do you want to guess? I googled it. Asking why supposes there's an answer. And sometimes there's an answer, but sometimes there isn't. Sometimes the concrete truth is not out there. Sometimes death is sudden. Sometimes life is unpredictable. So if there's no concrete answer, where does that conversation go? If there's not an answer, what happens to the conversation? The conversation stops, right? If it ends with no answer, then why isn't a life-giving Question all the time there's there's no opportunity to go deeper to keep on talking to explore to plumb the depths no opportunity for reflection and response so maybe Jesus is saying there are better questions that continue the conversation there are questions that invite us to live into a deeper mystery not to get further away from it there are questions that broaden our wisdom instead of just providing us with easy answers There are questions that give us a bigger perspective and a wider scope and not reduce our lives down to a single point. So maybe, instead of asking why, Jesus is issuing us the invitation to ask how. How? How am I called to respond to this thing that I see happening in the news, Jesus? How am I supposed to respond to this thing that's happening right now in my own life? Jesus, how are you inviting me to put my own affairs in order? We say, tell me why. And Jesus responds, this is how you should live as a result. Like he often does, Jesus turns to a story (laughs) to tell them what he means, to show them what how it looks like. So there's a landowner who has a fig tree. The landowner is hungry for figs, heads out to the tree. Instead of the ripe fruit that he is looking for, he finds nothing and he is angry. angry wants a fig. He shouts at his gardener. There's no figs on this stupid tree. Cut it down. It's a waste of soil. And the gardener is this voice of calm and reason. Hey, give me another year. I got some stuff up my sleeve. I'm going to try. Let's see what happens. And if not, then you can cut it down. And we want to say, what a weird story, Jesus. Jesus. What on earth does this have to do with anything? It's a complete non sequitur, Jesus. I don't get it, but maybe it's not. Because as we've mentioned before, we're squarely in the middle of the season of Lent. This is a span of 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter that invites every one of us who follow Jesus to reflect, to repent, to change how we're living. And this year, we're talking about God's how, how God's call to repent might invite us to let go of unhealthy habits, unhealthy ideas, unhealthy beliefs, maybe even unhealthy questions, and instead pick up or cultivate healthy ideas, healthy habits, healthy questions. So adjust your current course and turn it back to God, even in the way that you ask questions to begin with. So when he tells this story, Jesus is issuing us an invitation to let go of our why, to let go of our need for immediate, easy answers in the face of horrific tragedy and unspeakable pain, ready to grasp fruit in order for the fruit that has not yet come, to let go of the need to be sure, the need for certainty, the need for absolute truth. I'm so thankful that God is God and I am not. And sometimes it is not for us to know. So maybe let go of the why. Maybe say no to it for now. When you say no to why, it's a way for you to think differently. To say no to questions that are no longer life-giving. No to actions that don't help you out. And instead, then you've got room in your life for something new. Instead, maybe invite God in the space between to cultivate with you, within you the ability to be okay even to be at peace, even in the midst of your discomfort. So maybe instead the invitation is to say yes to sitting in the mystery, to being okay with not knowing. And instead, when you are faced with something horrific, instead, when you are faced with something unspeakable to ask how God, how are you calling me to respond? How might I serve you here and now? Jesus does have answers to that question. He never promised us you and me, that uh, following him would exempt us from calamity. It's quite the opposite, actually. He told us it was going to be real tough. He put it out there. It's one of the sign-up-like things. <laughs> if this, then you just just want you to know. And that doesn't seem fair, but that's a different sermon, so. <laughs> But what Jesus did promise is that He would show us the way and that he would go with us when the way gets tough. Friends, he lived our life, that's no small thing. And what we remember in Lent is that he died our death too. Death on a cross, that's the toughest death there is. It's humiliating, it is public. He gets us, he gets you. He goes with us, he goes with you and with me to show us how when the way is tough. And he promises us the Holy Spirit when we believe in him, the Spirit who helps us figure out how when our way is unclear. So how do we live in an overwhelming, a chaotic, a messy world? How does God call us to respond when life is messy and when people suffer and when when completely unfair things happen? And to that, Jesus says, go weep with someone who's weeping. Go fight for the justice that you long to see in the world. Go confront that evil that you see in the news or in your community or right next door to you where it needs confronting. Go grow something. Get out in your yard. Get your hands dirty and learn the art of patience. Go cultivate something beautiful. Go look your own sin in the eye and repent of it while you can. How, Jesus, how can we be of service here and now to to you and to those whom you came to save? And Jesus says, respond with a sense of urgency. Respond with a willingness to trust. Respond with a commitment to honesty. Respond with a, commu- uh, with a future for hope. Why hasn't my life produced fruit yet? And Jesus says, here's the manure and here's a spade. Get to work. So how are you like the landowner today? Are you looking for waste and loss and scarcity in the world? How could you cultivate potential and possibility? How are you like that fruit tree? Are you under the assumption that you have limitless time to be fruitful? How could you seek to cultivate fruit, good fruit, before it's too late? How are you like that gardener? Is God calling you to sacrifice your time and your effort and your love and your hope into a relationship or a cause or a tragedy or an injustice when there's no guarantee of a fruitful outcome? How is God calling you, maybe inviting you to live in that mystery? Friends, it's all before us here. This invitation to ask a better question, to live a better answer. The time is running short. The season to bear fruit has come. So repent and do it now. Amen.